What Was Cool, hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So I said to just store my ashes in this Bionicle canister. It'll do just fine. That's a good place for the ashes, unless you want to go and play with those Bionicles. That could be a little awkward, but we're live, Neil. We're live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I think I'd have to take the Bionicle out of the canister before I put my uh, ashes in there, but uh, I guess it's up to my children (laughs) or my grandchildren when they eventually do figure out what to do with what's left of me. But before we get to talking about toys today, Mike, I got to talk to you about something very important. Back on episode 22, you may remember Mm. you and I had a little wager. We bet on the Golden Bachelor series to find out what the uh, what the age gap would be between all of the women on the show. Of course, we mm-hmm. have uh, what's his name, Jerry or Gary? I forget. It's one of these uh, Parks and Rec situations yeah. where his name is spelled G E R R Y, and I can never remember. If it, I think it's Gary. Um, but uh, anyway, the uh, contestants were revealed a couple weeks ago now from when this episode goes live. But uh, we have the the results are in. We have the age gap between the oldest and the youngest uh, bachelorette on the on the season, Mike. And I gotta say, I was pretty disappointed because I think that there's a clear uh minimum age that the women had to be yeah looking like that the youngest is 60 uh oldest being uh 84 technically mm-hmm. but uh yeah i think i said 35 what'd you say neil i said 45 i was mm. way off but i was we, way you off. see you, i mean you were the closest but we both went over but we didn't know in our defense we didn't know that there was going to be that minimum there's a lot of women in the show that are 60 so i, I was like about halfway through i was like okay this is rigged uh, nobody in their twenties. I was a bit disappointed by that. Nobody, uh, like nobody in their nineties or anything. And I think that the 84 year old was a bit of a joke. It was Jimmy Kimmel's aunt. Yes. <laughs> which was, which was a, a funny touch. She got out on the, uh, on the first night. So, uh, but technically the age gap, 24 years young. So, uh, we'll have to do this again. I'm assuming that they're going to do a gender swap and have a, a senior bachelorette on the show. Yeah. Uh, we've watched the first two episodes at the time of this recording and it's a very depressing season. Oh, <laughs> um, compared to, I mean, like all these people are widowed, right? Right. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We were like, I did not expect this when I wished for this to happen. Everyone but yeah, I lot, know is dead. Basically, like they're basically finding someone to die with. And it's very depressing. Like, you know, they've all lost husbands and you know, their kids are moved out. Some of them are just divorced, but like the widowed ones are, are heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good series nonetheless. So we're enjoying it. Looking forward to the actual Bachelor to come back later on this year. But while we're waiting for that, Mike, it's concert season. You and I love going to concerts uh, in, in the fall and the winter, uh, we saw the dirty nil last week. I wanted to talk to you about that. What did you think of that show? We got, we have got to have a little bit of a post concert review here. Yeah, absolutely. Great show from a band from Dundas, Ontario, just about an hour outside of Toronto, uh, here. If, uh, if you don't know the GTA that well, uh, they are a great band. Uh, highly recommend checking them out. They are a very great power trio. Uh, love mm-hmm. to see it. We don't see too many trios nowadays, Neil, and it's really upsetting because trios are a great format. I love seeing the lead singer with the guitar just going ham, the bassist having room to move, and, and usually is a very good bassist because they got to pick up the slack, and mm-hmm. uh, the drummer usually just doing their thing. And uh, of course, we do <laughs> see it with Blink, although those guys aren't necessarily talented trio but you know they they they, they manage and we love them for it uh but it, it is cool to see uh so uh, the dirty nail just absolutely rocking it they are i uh, just i'd say like an alternative 
kind of band, punk band. The They have four albums, I think, at this point, four full-length albums. Yep. Their latest one came out uh, last year, and it was very good. Or earlier this year, I don't know. Earlier remember. this year, yeah. yeah. This year's been long. Yeah, it's but, been uh, long. Was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was yeah. a great album. Uh, I loved the album in 2020, F-Art, uh, with a big dog on the cover. Very cute. Uh, great cover and great songs, and they played a lot of great songs from that album. That's definitely the album I know the most, uh, and uh, they played a couple from their first album as well. Don't know those as well from Higher Power, but mm-hmm. still, uh, great set list they they put on a good show yeah they were awesome i've been waiting to see these guys since 2019 that's when i got into them uh but covid got in the way and i couldn't see them at all in 2020 or 2021 they but they haven't been to toronto they said in four years which is crazy because they're so close like you said dundas ontario an hour out uh that's a that's something that i know that a lot of people around the world maybe don't know is that in toronto you uh you base distance on time not actual physical distance in kilometers, I think it's probably maybe 60K outside of Toronto. But since you move at the snail's pace, it takes you at least probably an hour or two to get there. Um, but yeah, they were a fantastic trio. Their guitar player, uh, Luke, he is... I, I think I said this after the show, too. It was either it was somebody, but I think he was... He's probably one of the best guitar players I've ever seen live. Oh, yeah. Um, incredible. It sounds exactly like what you hear on the records. Uh, obviously, the vocals don't quite sound the same, but his guitar skills are in incredible uh, guitar solos are a dying breed these days and he does such a great job and he sings at the same time too it's just one guitar player like you said one guitar uh drums and bass and and him and they're they're all very talented musicians but i was i was just looking at him play the entire time he's a joy to watch uh everyone out there should go and see them they're like mike said a punk band rock band it's i don't really know exactly what to call them they do have breakdowns uh, but they don't have the screaming breakdowns like uh, like you know you might expect to go with that type of music. Uh, one thing I do want to shout out though is the uh, the concert etiquette at this show. I feel like that we do a very good job of of uh, commenting on bad etiquette mm. at the movies and the and concerts and whatnot. This one, the the crowd was very good. They were I very will say. good. Yeah, everyone well behaved. Gold star for everyone at the Danforth Music Hall that night. Um, yeah, like no one was like I don't think anybody filmed the entire show. Um, like there weren't like a ton of cameras out at yeah. certain points. Like I, I just noticed that I was thinking about that today. Um, like no one like started a fight, which our friend Dan mentioned the last time he saw the nil, uh, someone started a fight in the pit. It seemed like everyone was helping each other out. You know, everyone yeah. was getting along. It was just, I just wanted to say, like, I felt like it was one of the better concerts I'd been to recently where the etiquette was good. No one was being an asshole, which was nice. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I also, I also agree with that. Uh, there was the one guy beside me who was pretty brazenly drunk. Uh, he was just, uh, he was attempting to film the show, Neil. And, uh, oh, okay. he, um, well, he just had his phone on and went to the camera but didn't actually <laughs> film anything just had it just had it open uh <laughs> holding it up and maybe about 10 seconds later uh took it back down and looked at his phone for another 10 seconds trying to figure out what was going on and then left and i never saw him again so i think i think i think he was that was a little too much for him that's awesome i love that the attempted film all right that's yes. good enough yeah that, that's hilarious but no great set list they had a, a bunch of songs off of f art and master volume and i think they played everything off of their 2023 album free reign to passion seems like it yeah i i went through the uh the cd or the uh the record on spotify and everything i was like i'm pretty sure i haven't checked the uh, official playlist that they had or the uh, set list but 
I'm pretty sure everything was played, which is rare, uh, unless a band is touring an album to play the entire thing. So, oh, and bravo. also we had yeah. a George from uh, uh, from Alexis on Fire, George Pettit. Mm. Uh, he was opening with his band Dead Tired beforehand, and he mm-hmm. came on to do an Iggy Pop cover with uh, Dirty Nil. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was awesome. I was wondering what was going to happen there because like, I really was wondering like because the uh, they played a lot of their big hits and yeah. I usually start to, you know, once the show is getting to like 75, you know, 80% done, you can kind of start to feel it. We're getting into that third act of the show. I start to think like, okay, what songs are they going to come out with? Because we know they're going to do an encore. Um, mm-hmm. But by like their last song, I was like, I'm all out of hits. I don't know what they could possibly come out with. And it made sense that they came out with uh, with uh, Alexis on Fire Singer. And they played two more songs after that, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah. But it, I was like, man, this, these guys just don't stop. Um, no. Like once they played um, like a Blunt Force Concussions and Doom Boy, I was like, oh, wow. Like they're playing all their hits like in the first half. Um, I thought they blew their load in the first half of the show, but then they kept coming out with like even better stuff and like even harder guitar solos. So just an amazing show from start to finish. I really loved it. One of the better shows of the year, I think for me, and we saw Blink earlier this year too. So that's true. That's true, Neil. Uh, yeah, no doubt. But Mike, we had Ahsoka come out on Disney plus earlier, uh, a couple months ago, I guess it, uh, it came out. I finally got around to watching it. I've been procrastinating on it. I am all caught up. I've watched all... Eight episodes, yep. I feel like, yeah, miniseries, yeah, eight episodes of Ahsoka, finished it, watched episode five with you, um, I'm done, I'm waiting on the next uh, Star Wars series now, so uh, let's give our high-level thoughts, we'll keep this as spoiler-free as possible, because I know a lot of listeners out there probably haven't gotten to it yet, so uh, talk to me about it, what did you think of the, what, the fifth or sixth Star Wars series, Ahsoka? It was a good series. There was a lot of good things about it, I will say that it was certainly very much like a Rebels live-action which, mm-hmm. if you're a big Rebels fan, that's fantastic. It's it's uh, it's going to hit a lot of good peaks for you. If you don't know Rebels at all, it's going to be a little tough uh, barrier to entry for sure. Uh, I'd say this is probably the most niche Star Wars series that we've gotten so far uh, of all the the series uh, that have been out on Disney Plus. Uh, there there were some really really great moments. Episode five, like Neil said, I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I watched it with him. That was definitely the peak of the series. Uh, a fantastic episode, and there, the the episodes after that as well were were quite decent. There's some good characters introduced and some good storylines to follow. Uh, it, it definitely is a slow burn. It, it the first three or f- even four episodes. Are, are hard to really sit through sometimes, th- through the whole ones, I, I found at least. Uh, they were a little slow uh, and very Rebels heavy for sure. I had to kind of, re- I've seen Rebels and I didn't remember some of the things that they were talking about. So I, I had to kind of look that up again. Um, but uh, it, it was a, a definitely another solid Disney Plus Star Wars series. It, it's still not really given me that Kenobi feel, you know, Kenobi for me was, was everything. I, I, I loved that. I know some other people weren't huge fans of it, but still thought it was a decent series. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and it's hard to compare, you know, something like Ahsoka to it, but I mean, yeah, it's also hard to talk about without spoiling anything. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, perfect. I, I haven't had enough time to think about it, and I know everyone loves to rank uh, their, sure. you know, Marvel and Star Wars things. It's the thing to do. You gotta rank. I don't know. I honestly don't know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just done. Like, like uh, Obi-Wan is at the top, and uh, Book of Boba Fett is still at the bottom. Everything else is swimming somewhere in the middle, and yep. Ahsoka is in that middle space. I enjoyed it. Yep. Uh, I haven't seen Rebels yet. I, I might get around to it someday. I'm never gonna say never. 
Um, but I know that there was a lot of stuff from Clone Wars in here too that I understood. Uh, there were even a few things in there that I did not. My wife was looking up uh, references throughout the entire time because she had no idea what was going on. She has no touchstone to any of the cartoons. Um, she knows who Ahsoka is. She knows who Anakin is. She knows who... Uh... That's about it, actually. <laughs> yes, uh, so... <laughs> I was like, uh, who else is in here? She she knows of uh, like Thrawn, like, basically, but she's never seen this character before. At first, she thought it was uh, the... Um, the blue she's like is that the blue guy from uh what book of boba fett i was like no it's not um uh, it's a d- yeah. uh what's his uh bad cane bad cane that doesn't sound right hold on uh isn't it mad bane <laughs> oh my god it's probably mad bane <laughs> mad bane yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah no it's not mad bane from uh from book of boba fett it's uh it's a different guy and i honestly didn't have like much to say about what he is because you know it's like is he force sensitive is he a sith is he an alien is he human what is he and i was like i just 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 enjoy the show um, but top level, I did like it. I, I agree with what you say. It is very much a live action Rebels show, uh, to the point where like you see that mural, not really a spoiler, but like in the first episode, you see that mural of the cartoon drawings of everyone from Rebels. And I was like, this is really heavy handed and I can't see this painting in a government building, um, <laughs> in real life. But, um, I'm I, after this series, man, I, I'm really jonesing for like a Star Wars movie now. Like I'm, I'm ready to go back into the theaters. We were hurt with the sequel trilogy. Um, but I'm ready to be hurt again. I I need I need Star Wars back on the big screen. It just the shows are good. Like the CG is always just not quite there for me. The music is getting better, but it's still not that John Williams big score sweeping music, sure. amazing symphony. Like Ahsoka, actually the music in it, I'll I will say I liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought that the themes all worked really well. It was nice to hear the old ones. Um, but the ending, I know a lot of people have. To, I'm sure that the last episode is somewhat divisive. I just feel like with this show, it's it's got or these shows rather, it's got the Marvel issue where I feel like no one is in any real danger uh, <laughs> in terms of the good guys. Anyway, like they all just seem fine whenever something bad is happening. Yeah. Like there's just that, and I get the show is like at the end of the day, it's for kids. I understand. I'm a 30 year old man, um, <laughs> but I just feel like you know, there's always like. This air, like this air of like cockiness, and you know, very heavy-handed with the Star Wars reference. But I just feel like that they always feel like they always seem to know. Like their first plan always seems to work. Um, like at the end of the series, I'm not going to spoil anything. I just feel like everyone was totally cool with how the series ended, and yeah. I'm like, I feel like that they should be a lot more panicked with the outcome <laughs> of how what just happened here. Um, and it just ends. And I love that it was eight episodes. That was my issue with Andor, was that the series did overstay its welcome, I think. Like, mm-hmm. by the end of it, I forgot what happened in the first half. Um, yeah. the, the episodes all moved at a pretty decent pace. I, I think you can get these episodes down to 30 minutes if you just cut out, like, the panning and the walking scenes. Um, and, like, again, like, the writing is usually, it, it's good at best for a lot of these characters. Um, Thrawn was an absolute stand out for me i love the character of thrawn everyone else was kind of just okay in my opinion yeah. i like the um the two uh they're not sith lords but the bad jedi in the series yeah i thought that they were both pretty good um the bad guys in the series were were a standout for me and i can't yeah. can't necessarily say that for all of the uh, the star wars seasons so far Ooh. other than kenobi um so yeah that's where i'll leave it I'll, i put it in the middle of the the star wars shows for me and uh Looking forward to seeing uh, what Disney does next with Star Wars, because I think we're done for this year, waiting on whatever they have to do in 2024, I think. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what comes next from uh, from the Big D. Is that what we call Disney? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll start calling it, a Big D and the kids' table. Uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Bring back Gungans. Bring back some pod racing. You know, have some balls, Star Wars, and uh, do something that you, uh, you might regret. But, Michael, we're waiting for a Gungan series. I think that it's about time that we jump into today's episode. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 33 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet who are campaigning for a Gungan Star Wars show. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Last week, we talked about the classic psychological horror GameCube classic Eternal Darkness. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are covering our Patreon-elected episode, Mike. It's uh, that time of the month again. We put up a, uh, our election on Patreon. The topics of the month were Hot Rod 2007 movie, Daredevil the 2003 movie, and 90s-slash-2000s toys. And if you clicked on the thumbnail for this episode, you already know that the winning topic with 60% of the votes was 90s and 2000s toys. So, Mike, we're going to be basically no research required. Uh, we're basically just going to be talking about memories of our favorite toys from back in the day. Uh, you and I both grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. So a really fun time, in my opinion, to be a kid. We we're right at that peak of uh, toys being dangerous and not every toy requiring an iPhone to play with. Um, <laughs> so I guess we can ping pong back and forth, talk about, no pun intended, we can ping pong back and forth about our favorite toys from back in the day. We can do some honorable mentions, maybe some toys that sucked. Um, so I'll start it off with you. What was your what was one of your favorite toys as a kid? Oh, man. Well, this was a lot of fun to kind of uh, go back in the history of uh, of, of myself and, uh, <laughs> and figure out what toys I played with because it, it was hard uh, to figure out like, okay, what I know there's a bunch of toys that I had for a long time, but there was most of the toys I had, I played with very briefly or they were things like Lego. Or or mm. uh, uh, or Beyblades or, or things like that that were kind of just like ever I don't know if Beyblades were ever present Lego for sure <laughs> was ever <laughs> present and so I'm not I'm not going to talk about Lego today because I still play with Lego and it's great uh, mm. this is this is uh, we're, we're trying to go more to things that were mainly around and thought of in the late 90s and early 2000s as mm -hmm. uh, as we understood the the Patreon topic to be so for me I'm going to start off with a very random toy that might not even really exist it might just be one of a kind who knows what this thing is <laughs> i was unable to find any actual information for it i can't even find what it looks like i i know what it looks like but um i don't know where it is it's in my parents house somewhere what it was was a little phone uh kind of a it looked like a, a an old uh, 80s cell phone basically but in a small version like the size of your hand basically mm -hmm. and it, when you would open it up a screen would come out uh, and it would have the little antenna and everything too there. Uh, this I think the antenna actually turned it on. But um, there would be a black and white screen, uh, maybe a little bit smaller than a Game Boy Color screen. And it, I know, yeah, very small. <laughs> and it had a bunch of these black and white arcade games on it. What? And you would cycle through the different games by, uh, like, it would just, when you open it up, it would just take you to this menu. And it would be like six games. I believe it was because it, it was six tiles. There was uh, a fake version of Asteroids. These were all like just they didn't have any names or anything. If just you just would start and, and start playing them. So there was yeah. an Asteroids. There was a Snake. There was a Pong. There was a Brick Breaker. And there was cool. two others that I can't remember. Right. And it also made noise too. There's a little speaker there, and it would make this annoying no noise. You couldn't you couldn't turn the volume on, off, or <laughs> or change the the, <laughs> the levels. It just it just existed. Right. And I must have played that little toy over and over and over again. It, it you had you could use these these buttons down below where the um where the numbers would be, would normally be on a cell phone. Uh, you could use those buttons to uh, to move around and everything and control your little guy. But uh, yeah, it was it was such a cool time. 
I love that toy so much. I love and still love old arcade games. So I remember getting it from someone. I, I was trying to remember, I asked my parents about this and they had no idea what I was talking about. But my dad thought <laughs> that it might have been from hockey from like, I don't know if you remember this, Neil, but sometimes like the parents would give things to the to all the like the kids it's yeah. like if you were like the mvp of that day or oh, something yeah, yeah. you know or like the, the they would give you this like cheap toy mm-hmm. and my dad's like it could have been something like that because I, I, he remembered one of our coaches doing that and that's probably i would assume where it came from it's just some adult gave it to me <laughs> it was some <laughs> probably cheap dollar store thing uh but i loved it huh. uh and i'm i wish i could find it i i will maybe i'll do a sketch of it to uh, explain it to people yeah <laughs> post it but yeah it was really cool it's probably one of my favorite toys ever interesting do you remember how old you were you like i guess like 10 yeah. or like, yeah like okay. 8 9 10 okay. around that age yeah so around the time, like when cell phones actually had games on them, I'm yes. trying to think of like when it was and like in terms of like cell phone tech and like Game Boy. So this was like around the Game Boy Advance era. I'm, Yeah, I don't remember you playing with this. I definitely remember yeah. that there was a time when like every toy, like we were starting to get into that. Kids don't have phones yet, so you got to give them something yep. um, and not a Game Boy. I remember we had something like that. It was more of like a laptop. But again, the screen was about the size of a Game Boy screen um, <laughs> and it only played Hangman. That was it. Oh, um, nice. And the same thing like you're describing, it beeped and it you couldn't control the sound. You couldn't control anything on it. It beeped or you didn't play it. Um, yeah, but it was the <laughs> same kind of thing. And it's really funny how many different toys back in, at least back in our day, toys shaped like phones. I think that that's right? really funny how we've been conditioned from a very young age to uh, want cell phones. And it's funny how everything was based on, you mentioned it being like a flip phone. I yeah. Think? yeah, it was yeah. a flip phone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I missed the flip phone design, man. That was fun, but. <laughs> Um, I love. I'd love for you to be able to find that toy one day, though, and find out. Like, let's play. Let's let, let's review these games and see how and, and what those two hidden games were. I'd be interested to know what those were. You said it was Asteroid, Snake, Pong, Brick Breaker, Brick Breaker. and then I, I, I played Brick Breaker the most for sure. There might have been like a yeah, Space yeah. Invaders style one. Mm. Uh, yeah. I will. I'll be at my parents' house again. I will dig through their stuff and find it that's gonna be my new mission because i really want to find this thing it's uh and and put batteries in it because surely it's dead oh yeah I, oh 100 absolutely <laughs> uh i'll start with my mm-hmm. first favorite toy from when i was a kid and this does go back to the 90s the toy came out in 1996 and uh it is a game but it's uh no screen required and that is the bop it uh bop it. one of the twist twist it bullet <laughs> <laughs> that toy just told you was basically the first boss everybody had as a kid was the bop it D- just told you what to do yeah. nonstop to a beat got slowly quicker and it just demanded so much of your time uh this toy was an absolute classic in the late 90s early 2000s uh the original i think it's the original copy or whatever you call it model it could be to this day but sold 30 million units worldwide wow. so very high selling toy um, and it has multiple iterations since 1996. Now they've got ones that like you can do like eight different things with them. You can oh my god, <laughs> yeah, you can like blow into them now. You can like flick them now. It, it's really weird the flick number it. of things that you can <laughs> flick it. I don't need that. I just need my basic three, man. My rock paper scissors. But this toy was so cool back in the day. It was basically like this. If you don't know what it is, it was kind of like this. It looked like a little fishing rod, I guess. Like this little kind of rod shaped toy. Uh, there was a, a little knob at, on one end that you could pull, a knob on another end, kind of looked like a tornado that you could twist, and then a button in the middle that you would bop. 
And there was this voice over the uh, the PA speaker, if you will. And there's actually a voice credit with that guy. It's Buddy Rubino. Uh, he's voiced multiple different commercials. He's, he's the voice in multiple different toys and cartoons and everything. He has a ton of voice credits to his name. Hmm. Had fun researching him this week. But he's kind of like his voice lives rent free in my head because I played this thing for hours at a time. And it's irritating as hell for parents because, again, it's another one of these toys that you can't adjust the volume on. <laughs> and it's very irritating. It gets quicker and quicker. Um, there's multiple ways that you can play it. You can play it solo. You can play it with a friend where eventually the voice tells you to pass it and you pass it over to your friend. And then they pass it back and you go back and forth. And when you're done, um, the toy makes a, a certain number of sounds, twists, booms, or pulls. And each sound uh, represents a certain number. So, like, I think it's a boom represents 10, the twist represents 5, and then the pull represents 1. So mm -hmm. when you're all done doing whatever this Boppet toy tells you, you now have to do basically Morse code and math to figure out how many points you ended up with because it doesn't just tell you. That's the thing, right? At the end, you, you don't really know how well you've done. Like, you're like, uh, I guess I that's I did well. That's That sounds like a lot. Like, you knew, yeah. you knew the 10 sound. I remember the 10 sound. Yeah. Because Boom. that was Boom. like, okay, I did pretty well. Like, you, so you would just count that. You'd be like, mm -hmm. okay, I got 40-something. Yeah. Um, is, I remember what, what we, we would do. I never owned a Boppet. But I, of course, played a Boppet. I feel like anyone who grew up in the 90s, early 2000s has touched a Boppet, has bopped a Boppet, mm -hmm. if you will, before. Uh, yeah. And it was definitely something that, like, if you had other siblings, if you had, a, 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 like, a, a bigger family, you definitely had to get Boppet. Mm -hmm. You just throw it down to the kids. It's like, okay, here you go. Go go <laughs> try this out. Uh, Boppet would definitely, it, it, it could get heated, though. It's a heated oh, yeah. game. Oh, yeah. Lives, or lives. Friendships <laughs> were definitely ruined uh, with the Boppet. Absolutely. Um, I unfortunately don't. I don't think I have mine anymore. Funny story, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I had the Boppet in my room because I had all my childhood toys in my bedroom. Um, and I guess that the, uh, it was breaking, it was short circuiting or something. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it just made this weird warp sound in the middle of the night. And it was horrific, <laughs> that sound. So uh, the next day I was like, I can't. I can't fix it. I don't. I was just at a phase where I was like, I don't need this. I'll just throw it out. Yeah. So I think I got rid of it, sadly. But occasionally I see them pop up at like a value village or a thrift store or something like that. And I'm like, there's no way that this thing works. It's 25 years old. <laughs> um, but yeah, got to give a shout out to one of my favorite childhood toys from 1996, the Boppet. But what is your second favorite toy, Mike, from the 90s or 2000s? Well, my second favorite toy would be the Tamagotchi. Uh, and this was mm. the... The, one of the biggest things in the 90s, for sure, uh, really the idea of these digital pets uh, blew up in the 90s. There was a bunch of them. There was like nano pets or something, too, that they had. There, there was a ton of these imitators, but Tamagotchi was, of course, the original one. If you somehow have never heard of a Tamagotchi, what a Tamagotchi basically is, is this little egg-shaped uh, keychain almost because uh, it did have the little keychain attached to it and uh, <laughs> it has a virtual pet in there and basically what you have to do is you have to take care of this virtual pet and it it needs everything like a normal pet would it, you have to feed it you have to take care of it you have to play with it uh, you get it to do deeds as well so they can get uh, what is, angel power uh, and it, you can also you also have to clean up after it you know pick up its poop and uh, and stuff so it was really like having an actual pet and you had to be on top of it quite often it really was the first kind of sim game like life sim game uh and almost like chore a type game mm. that uh that was out at the time and really paved the way for things like nintendogs and and games like that but also just any of those life sims like even just the sims 
in general. Like this is before The Sims that Tamagotchi had come out, right? So this this was a, a a whole new world really that you could just get kids in, and we got really invested in it. Like I definitely got invested in my Tamagotchi. Well, it predates The Sims. I think it also predates Pokemon in it North does. America. Oh yeah, least, uh, yeah. Because I had Tamagotchi in my honorable mentions toys. Um, so released in 1996, um, which Pokemon in the U.S. was around the same time. So. We basically got hit at the exact same time with Tamagotchis and Pokemon. Basically, kids needed to learn how to take care of virtual animals yeah. very quickly. Uh, something that our parents did not understand and were buying us virtual animals hand over fist. Tamagotchis sold 80 million units worldwide. Yeah. Four times the GameCube. Um, so it's doing pretty well. Um, I was this was, I feel like this was a bit before my time. Or, uh, yeah, bef- yeah, before my time, I guess what I would say. My brother was really into it. He got one. Um, yeah. cause by the time I was old enough to like want one of these, I already had my Game Boy and Pokemon. So I really didn't, I, I knew of Tamagotchi. They were everywhere. Every kid had one on their backpack and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, they had the eggs and everything. I jumped in on the Digimon train where we got those little Digivices, which yes. was basically Tamagotchi's, uh, like 2.0 or like Tamagotchi's for boys, as people would say, even though lots of guys got Tamagotchi's anyway. Yeah. Um, but the same basic concept where you had this Digimon, you would battle with them, you'd have to feed them and take care of them and train them. Uh, a really interesting concept. And uh, man, the uh, mid 90s, what a time for uh, learning how to take care of uh, digital animals. Um, I have a memory. I don't know if it's real or not, but I remember specifically my mom going to, I guess, a Walmart or something. And I was with her. I would have been, I guess, four at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were just getting a shipment of Tamagotchis in. And I just have this memory of being in this crowd of parents, (laughs) like everyone lined up. It's kind of like the, the, you know, uh, not Total Recall, the uh, Jingle All the Way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The scene where like they're waiting for the Turbo Man doll to arrive at this toy store. It was like that. Um, And parents were just kind of getting Tamagotchis off, like off the truck. The toys weren't even getting to the shelf. That's how big that that thing was back in the day. It, it was a huge, huge fad. Like it, I, I can't yeah. uh, understate it or overstate it enough that it was such <laughs> an amazing, uh, huge fad. It's even on the cover of this episode, as, as I'm sure you saw when you clicked on this, uh, because it, it's it was everything. It's it really Tamagotchi for me encompasses the 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s in terms of those fad toys that really mm-hmm. were huge and definitely went away uh, for reasons like you said, Neil, with Digimon, Pokemon, um, and with all the different copies or copiers of it too. It even mm-hmm. reminds me of, it's not the same thing, but I just got a flashback, not to my Tamagotchi, but to my Pokemon, uh, my actual physical Pokedex uh, that I had. Mm, yeah. uh, and that was kind of a similar thing where just, it was these things that you just take around with you everywhere and you didn't think anything of it. Like I, I can't think of of toys that would do that now just because kids just have their phones, mm-hmm. right? And these these toys are just inside the phone as an app. Like Tamagotchi is just an app now. Mm-hmm. It, it would basically be, right? I, I know they still do make Tamagotchis and it's still a thing. By the way, Tamagotchi made by Bandai. So uh, Bandai just raking in some more money there <laughs> uh, before they were Bandai Namco. Uh, it com- Tamagotchi is a portmanteau. It combines the two Japanese words, uh, Tamago, which is egg, and uochi, which is watch. Uh, so just egg watch. <laughs> <laughs> really clever toy idea. I, I Yeah, that is kind of the symbol of toys from the 90s. Honestly, Tamagotchi took over with that. Uh, yeah. And you're right. It would totally be an app today. I think it came up, came back. It did. Quote, unquote, where they remade like the exact model from the 90s. I remember it maybe just before pandemic. I picture that being like late 2010s, uh, which feels weird to say now. But I remember seeing them at like EB Games. 
um, just at the front of the counter, you know, 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, cool, they're back. Didn't buy one. No. Um, but I just thought it was kind of a neat little thing to come back. There's lots of other toys that I wish would come back like that uh, that we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, my second toy of the day is a little toy called Laser Challenge. Mm. Um, again, from 1996. That 1996, a great year great to year. be a kid, um, <laughs> is what I found this week when researching for this show. Um, but basically, Laser Challenge was at-home laser tag. Um, you got a uh, two vests kind of thing, like packs that you put over your chest, mm-hmm. and you got two uh, laser guns. And it's, it was just laser tag. Uh, you would uh, you could play against your sibling. Uh, if your neighbors uh, got a pack as well, which we did, you could play 2v2 or every man for themselves. This thing was really cool. Um, you could adjust the gun. They had like a little switch on the back of them so you could set it to like teams. It was really cool how you could kind of sync them up to play. Very advanced for a toy for 1996. Um, t- eight batteries like a... <laughs> monster because the guns I think required two double A's and then your chest pack took three or four I think so basically each kid had six batteries on them at all times um, and it used them up very quickly uh, but it was a ton of fun. I remember playing playing with that thing for hours with my brother. We would we would strap the vest onto like targets. We put it on our dog Sheridan when when she was young. She hated that because it, <laughs> it it would make sounds when you would shoot it. Uh, when the person kind of dies. Uh, quote unquote dies. The pack makes like a almost like an airplane falling out of the sky sound with an explosion. Um, and there were like uh, there was a thing that you could buy. Uh, we never got it, but it was kind of like a target practice th- like device. I forget what it's called, but you could set up two and have like a target practice kind of shoot off to see who's got better aim. Um, but just a really cool toy. Like the the laser gun even ran out of ammo, so you had to yeah. punch a reset button on it. Um, you had to hit a reload button on it rather. Um, there was another button on the other side. I think it was a reset, but I forget what the other button did. There's one on either side. One was to reload. One was to do something else. I forget, but it almost felt like in Nightfire, like how you had like, like, uh, obviously like when you're playing Goldeneye or Nightfire, you, you have to reload. You have to, uh, I really wish I could remember what the other button did, but <laughs> anyway, it even had a scope on it. Like th- this was just such a really cool toy. And every time my brother and I had friends come over, they always wanted to play laser tag in the basement. Oh, it's so fun. I think I, I remember playing this with you at times too. It was, it was such a weird, cool thing. It was also like like laser tag was huge and yeah. and as it should be, laser tag is great. Uh, and and the idea that you could just have laser tag and not have to go to laser quest every Sunday. Right. Like, that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Like we went to laser quest once a year, maybe twice if your other friend or another friend had a birthday, <laughs> a birthday party there. Yeah. yeah, had a birthday and decided you'd be like, yo, let's go to laser quest. And they'd be like, no, I want to go to the movies. And you're like, um and uh you know you'd have to wait for your birthday to come around um but uh yeah this is what we did for fun on you know rainy days we'd play in the basement on sunny days in the summer we'd play it outside we had a great yard for it because we had a huge backyard with trees and everything else and our street you know no no cars really came by so yeah just a really cool toy we still have the box and everything i'll try and find it at my parents house next time i'm there and try and post it on our instagram page but yeah shout out to at home laser tag Lo- love me some good at home laser challenge. Uh, just so nineties. So it's so nineties. But yeah. uh, I'll keep it going with the 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 weapons kind of theme that we got going here now, good. Uh, which is uh, super soakers. Because super soakers, well, they still exist, uh, and they'll probably exist forever. But the nineties, early two thousand super soakers, those are those are where it's at. Yep. And uh, they, I, I, I love super soaker. It's of course a Nerf property because Nerf figured out that they might as well just make 
water guns <laughs> as well <laughs> as uh, as as uh, as nerf dart guns, uh, which are also great. But um, uh, I, there's a couple that I wanted to, to point out. There's of course the classic Super Soaker Fifty. We'll post some of these pictures, of course, but uh, it's the one when you think of you think of Super Soaker in the, the the 90s, 2000s. That's the one. It looks rather small. It's got that kind of like very cylindrical uh, uh, refill case at the very top, and it's usually yellow and green. These kind of like puke green and puke yellow colors. Yeah, ugly. Uh, and very ugly, but uh, it's the one that every kid had. Everyone, legally, uh, you had to have it. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, we started getting better ones as time went on. At, in particular, I love my, uh, it's a CPS 1500 Super Soaker, which was a, a massive one that you would hold. It, it would It would hold so much water in it as well. <laughs> you could even get the backpack ammo for it that uh, one of our neighbors had. I remember he had the backpack for it. So it just, you know, would be you just fill up the backpack and just be uh, putting through the super soaker and just completely soaking people with it. Uh, there's also a kind of machine gun, like a, a Gatling gun. Like a Gatling type. gun. Yeah. I, I remember that one. I didn't have that one, but one of our neighbors had that one and everyone wanted to play with that. Like super soakers are so fun. Water gun fights were a big part of my childhood. And I just want to give a big shout out to, uh, to super soakers in general. Yeah, water gun fights in the summertime as a kid, you got to have them. Like, you got to, you know, you go to someone's house. Who's got the hose? Like, who's got the good backyard for running around? Whose mom doesn't care? (laughs) Um, Who's got a pool? That was another big one. Like, if you could jump in the pool to reload your gun, that was a a huge advantage. The CPS 1500, man, you brought back a huge memory there. (laughs) I, 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 I love how, like, it went from basically, like, like the original Super Soaker by today's standards looks cute. Like it's got, you know, the two little bubbles on top. It holds like a liter of water or two. Um, the CPS 1500, you, you mentioned it there. Mm-hmm. It got so heavy yes. that they had to put, they had to put a shoulder strap on it. Like you were the bass player from Slayer. Yeah, like right. it's too heavy for a children to hold. And it's like, I remember specifically like slipping and falling That that thing did not break. No, I did. Like I hurt myself. Like the gun is fine. Um, it probably still works to this day. The pressure gauge might just be a little busted. Um, but oh my God, dude, like when that thing is filled with water, it must've weighed like 20 pounds and then it fires water at such a crazy velocity that like, I think that they had to scale it back after we were kids. Cause I think kids got their eyes knocked out or something like that with the, (laughs) with the water that was just getting shot out at such a velocity that my neighbor had a pond and he bought one of these things. It wasn't the uh, 1500. I think it was a bigger one. Um, but he literally bought a water gun to scare off squirrels because it was yep. very accurate and very powerful. Uh, he basically bought a weapon, um, <laughs> legally a weapon to, from Canadian Tire. That thing will hurt you. It'll it'll get those squirrels. They'll, they'll know. They'll oh. never come back because, yeah, it, it, like you said, it was it got really heavy. But that's a good point of it never broke. I never had one of my super soakers break. These things were no. made with thick, thick plastic. Like yep. they they were they were well built. I got to give them that. I, I'd be curious to, to know what they are, what they're like now. But uh, I did have the big one, the 1500, my, my, my prized possession. And I also had a couple pistols, you know, because sometimes you just need to to, to shoot off quick, quick darts of, uh, of water. Uh, so I remember we would have I would have uh, one like strapped to my side, like a real gun. And uh, and I'd have the, the big 1500 going around with that. Uh, to to spray people, uh, shoot them from my treehouse, of course. Uh, just yep. great times. Big fan. Yeah, we had we. I'm looking at this now. The CPS line of Super Soakers was so damn cool. Oh, yeah. You're right. They they did not care about using overusing plastic for toys. <laughs> no, we're definitely the reason why the planet's in a little bit of rough shape. But we also had the CPS 1200, which was a good gun. 
Uh, my neighbor had, uh, listeners can look this up. It's the CPS 2700. That was the gun that he used to uh, scare off squirrels. And it literally looks like something that you'd have to fight the xenomorph with from Alien. <laughs> These guns were weapons. They were insanely cool. And I got to say, every summer I do like to go down the Canadian Tire aisle just to see what water guns look like every year. And it's disappointing to see them now, like compared to what they used to be. They, they're just not, they're just a bit flimsy compared to what we had, but. They're not ruining the planet like us. No, no, we, we definitely put a mark on the planet that can't be undone. <laughs> but my third uh, favorite toy from the 90s and 2000s, I made mine in chronological order, I'm realizing, were Ooh. Beyblades in 1999. Nice. Another, I'm going to call it a fad like they were. I know that they're still around today in some capacity, but they were massive in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, they were banned on schoolyards because kid kids would just launch them at each other. Everybody watched the cartoon for like a couple months, it felt like, but <laughs> Everyone was buying these things like you'd have to have a couple of them. You'd swap out, you know, the, the the disc. They were really hard to make, too, but you'd have to swap out like different pieces to make yours heavier or lighter. Uh, you had to have a longer rip cord because that gave your Beyblade more power. Mm-hmm. Some kid would bring their uh, their little stadium to school and it would get shredded <laughs> because like 30 Beyblades would go in and at once. It was just an incredible toy, a very simple idea. They brought back the spinning top, which probably hadn't been big in literally 100 years yeah. between us playing with Beyblades and kids just playing with spinning tops in the early 1900s. It was an incredible toy line, very simple idea that was just marketed very well for a very short period of time with the cartoon, with the music that went along with the cartoon, with the characters. Um, the Beyblades themselves looked wicked cool. They were heavy. They had like literally metal in them. Yeah. Uh, some of them made sparks. You could put like flint on the sides of them. Some people would swap out pieces for like pieces from like toolboxes and stuff like that. You could really make these things dangerous. I remember playing with Beyblades a ton as a kid at birthday parties and again on the schoolyard until they got banned. But really like summarizes kind of grade three, four, that 2001 era for me where was capitalized by Yu-Gi-Oh! and Beyblades for sure. Oh yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! Beyblade together for sure. And, and yeah. there was, a, of course, games too. There was a Beyblade game on the GameCube that we talked about on the GameCube mm-hmm. is Cool podcast. Uh, and... Beyblades were everywhere for a couple months there, or even a couple of years, honestly. Like it, it was pretty big. It, it did hurt having them banned on the schoolyard, but we yeah. we found ways. We we made our own stadiums. I remember my dad made a made a little stadium for us uh, out of wood, and uh, I remember him making. Uh, and I helped him make for me a like metal iron, basically like uh, <laughs> Beyblade, uh, <laughs> which uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't use against other people because it would just destroy them. But I remember other kids also had their dads build these these Beyblades, and we would we would fight against them. Uh, a friend of the show, Brennan, did the same thing. His dad uh, built him a uh, a metal <laughs> Beyblade because for for pa- our parents, they they had 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 these kind of toys at at one point with these these spinning tops and things that they would play on the schoolyard and just like they would hit each other it, it's it's an uh, like you said an age old idea that was brought to life with 90s aesthetics basically uh mm-hmm. this edginess and anime and everything that went, went along with it like it worked really well it was a great marketing campaign uh, and i'm sure in another 20 years we'll see the same kind of thing we'll see another way for spinning tops to be cool Probably the only the one thing that everybody wanted, and I think they eventually got something close to it, but it wasn't very good. Was being able to control them, yeah, like remote wise. Basically, you would just spin them into the into the uh, stadium, and then that was it. You'd kind of like hope for the best. Um, and if yours got knocked out, you lost. If it got knocked into one of the little uh, uh, the little holes, you would lose. So it was kind of the last top. It was really like a little toy version of a battle royale. Yep. 
uh, was basically what it was. But I think once they can get the tech around to being able to control the toys, uh, like with a phone or something, no doubt, I'm, I'm sure that Beyblades will come back in some form in a big way with kids. I still see them from time to time, like the Beyblade logo uh, in the toy aisles yep. with the action figures and around Yu-Gi-Oh, you'll see, you'll see Beyblade still, but uh, yeah, it was, we, we grew up when it was at its peak for sure. Yep. They're not dead yet. Not yet. Nope. Not, nope. Can't kill the spinning top. That's for sure. But Mike, what's your, uh, we're up to, I think our fourth, third or fourth favorite uh, toy. What, uh, what do you have up next? Yeah, we're on my fourth here, which is Brio. Now, Neil, do you remember Brio at all? I do. It was like yeah. the uh, pre-Lego, basically. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it very yeah. much like pre-Lego. Brio toys originated in Sweden, and they uh, they were also manufactured in Sweden. All the all the toys were actually made there. All the parts and everything similar to how Lego is mostly made in Denmark. Uh, and Brio's from 1884, so it's been around for a long time. And what Brio is, and and many of you might remember this and might know of it, uh, think of uh, these wooden planks with holes in them, all these circular holes. And that's basically how you would make stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, if you've ever played with Brio, you probably got the set that uh, that had like the the base, which was all holes, and you could put things in those holes too to 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 kind of create whatever you wanted. Uh, I also got a lot of Brio mechs, which were this these oh, cool. um, uh, basically these vehicles that you could make out of uh, out of Brio pieces and there was little motors on them that could move uh, very similar to wow. the Lego technique or Technic uh, mm-hmm. I think it was at the time those were really cool I remember that that being like the next step the next evolution of toys at the <laughs> at the time getting those and getting the Lego Technics uh, but yeah Brio was one that I just I was looking uh, around when uh, when I found out we were going to do this episode, I was I was watching some videos about '90s toys, and I saw someone posted something about Brio, and I was like, oh, Brio! I haven't thought about Brio in years, and that was definitely something that I played with when I was younger. I got into Lego as I got a bit older, um, uh, but uh, Brio was still or still holds a a nice nice spot in my heart for sure. Brio sounds like a candy. Like it sounds, del- it sounds delicious, it sounds delicious, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it does sound delicious. But yeah, I, I have I have fond memories. I got one of these kits. I definitely didn't get many. It might have even been a hand me down from my brother. But I definitely remember like the the blue screws. Yes. That you use to like screw everything together, or the nails, or whatever they're supposed to be. We had those were lying around the house for like a decade. <laughs> um, I just have I like looking at the picture. It's like oh yeah, I remember Brio. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, I love the idea of like Brio Mech. Like if they could make it like like have a tie in with like Gun like Gundam and like make like Mech like robots right? out of Brio. I think that would have been <laughs> sick. Um, for the most part, you just made, I think, vehicles and stuff. I don't think I ever got to the point of like building anything that robust with Brio. I definitely had Lego and Connects, those kind of just ongoing toys, like you mentioned earlier. That was really what uh, what we had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was also thinking of Duplo too, which was another one of those toys that you'd have before you get into Lego. Kind that's of, literally pre-Lego. That is definitely pre-Lego, uh, the uh, Duplo. Um, but yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great toy. Do they still make that stuff? I feel like I don't see Brio anymore. They do. I was also surprised at that. They do mm. still make them. Apparently, uh, the last update I have is from September 2021. Brio toys are still being produced in Sweden as well. So uh, these Wow. They were expensive, though. I do remember that. Even, well, not I don't remember this. It could be expensive, but I remember that my my parents would only buy 
them very selectively. I, I think I only got one a year for sure. I don't think I got anything more than that. And I didn't have a lot of Brio sets. I, I really only had that, that one like kind of forklift um, uh, mm. front loader that, that you could make with the Brio stuff. And I also had the tool shelf or the working bench, which it was oh, called. Cool. As soon as I saw that one, I was like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> so <laughs> I did have my little working bench made out of Brio that uh, that I created. But uh, yeah, they were really high quality and made out of real wood, very similar to kind of like, kind of like Thomas the Tank Engine kind of style mm-hmm. where those, those were all real wood, also very expensive, still very expensive today. I, those ones, I know where they are uh, in my parents' house. I'm keeping those forever for sure. Uh, for for when Definitely. I have kids, they can play with uh, with those because I don't want to buy them new Brio <laughs> or new Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Just act like it's new. Oh, yeah. The new, oh, those those train tracks are coming out the second I have a kid, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quick shout out to the Thomas the Tank Engine. I forgot about that one. The wooden train tracks. I can't believe I didn't get have that in my list. That's a big honorable mention. The Thomas the Tank Engine sets. Yes. Uh, yeah, you unlocked a memory there with the... Uh, uh, the toy uh, tool, uh, the, 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 the working table. bench, working bench. That was such a thing, man. Ki- kids are always playing like adults. And now like as an adult, I just want to be a kid again. <laughs> like you always want to be wherever you're not. The grass is greener. Like, you know, the play kitchens and the yeah. everyone's driving fake little cars. It's like, man, just enjoy not being able to drive. Honestly, <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, my fourth toy on my list. I think we talked about it a little earlier are Bionicles from 2001. Um, Lego, we had obviously played a bunch when we were kids and we knew the Lego sets when we were young, uh, Lego, um, licensed Lego sets were very rare. It was mostly just star Wars. Um, Mm -hmm. for the most part, Lego was just spaceship and cowboys and, uh, pirates and knights and everything like that, which was very fun. Like that was just kind of that ongoing toy. You'd get sets from time to time, but 2001's Bionicles was, uh, the first, one of the first times I remember seeing a Lego set on TV, not really knowing it was Lego at first, but just being blown away and being in awe of the TV commercials for, for Bionicle. They were really cool. And it was just these characters, you know, doing their thing on screen. It was, there was what, five of them, six of them. You'd see the, there's a red one, a blue one, a green one, a black one, a brown one, very Power Rangers-esque. Yes. And there's just so much mystery around them. Like, what are these things? Like, is this a toy? Is this a movie? Is this a video game? And then like, you'd see the little the little robots on screen, they got these really cool masks, a very edgy kind of toy. They've all got different weapons and abilities. And this one lives in the Arctic and this one lives in <laughs> caves. And and just like, it was such a cool, mysterious product that that Lego just kind of launched on the world on us as kids. And, and then one of my friends uh, got a bunch of them at his birthday party that I was at. And like, as a kid, you have no filter. So like, as soon as, as soon as like your, my parents came to pick me up, I was asking them to go to the, the toy store to go buy, buy some. And they said no. But uh, a couple months later I got, uh, I, my, my, I guess it was my eighth birthday. I remember I got the white one. I don't remember their names cause they're all very weird, but I got the white one and the green one. Uh, so the white one has like a sword and shield lives in the Arctic. And then the green one has like this giant ax cause it lives in the woods. And I eventually got the entire first set minus the red guy. Uh, the fire one. He was very hard to find from what mm. I remember from that original set. My mom would take us, take, it was just me that was into them, but she would take me and my brother and sister to uh, Mastermind Toys, which is a very big toy store here in uh, the GTA yes, area. Yes. And the great store, still in business, love going to Mastermind. But that was the one of the only places that sold Bionicle. It was oddly a very exclusive toy for some reason. So she would take us there and I would get one at Christmas and at you know, birthdays and I'd buy one every so often. Uh, and I bought some of the later sets as well. Uh, they'd have different types of models come out. There's several different lines of them. A uh, friend of the show, John, he's a big Bionicle fan. I think he actually owns pretty much every toy to date. 
that was ever released. Yeah. So I, I definitely bought some of the later sets, but that first original 2001 set holds a very special place in my heart. Uh, did, do you remember Bionicles, Mike? I'm sure you do, just being friends with me. Of course, and I also loved Bionicles. I had my Bionicles. Uh, I was very into them for a year, <laughs> like like most people. Uh, I know you you definitely kept it going for sure, and I remember that you were really into them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I loved the idea of them too. They were so cool, like the games as well that were coming out. We talked a lot about Bionicle on episode 75 of the GameCube is Cool podcast, where we actually talked about the Bionicle games like Bionicle Heroes uh, that, that came out on the GameCube and other uh, systems. And we talked about how Bionicle really saved Lego. And mm-hmm. the reason that Bionicle was created in the first place was because of Lego Star Wars and how Lego really wanted to retain licensing rights because they were losing a lot of money with the licensing for for the Star Wars toys. And they wanted to kind of create their own IP and, and they did and, and made a ton of money uh, with Bionicle and honestly a huge risk, but one that, that paid off super well. Like we look back, we're like, oh yeah, Bionicles, yeah, very early 2000s, but like these were great toys that so many people had. They they were a huge seller. And I, I even, I, like, like you said at the very beginning of the episode, where you're going to keep your ashes, I do love those Bionicle canisters. <laughs> like there was something oh, amazing yeah. with the packaging. Like they really nailed that. Well, they made that part of the marketing too, exactly. where like the Bionicles kind of crash landed very, um, almost like like Metroid or like uh, even Buzz Lightyear, like yep. how in Toy Story he was sold in his uh, spaceship. Yeah, it was a lot like that, where the canisters were their kind of pods that they would travel the galaxy through or whatever, and they would crash land in their pods. I think that that's how the lore worked. <laughs> um, but they emerged from their pods or whatever it was, and then that's where you get your toy from. It was really cool how they. They thought of everything with the Bionicles, and it later evolved into uh, Ninjago. I get that that's kind of the spiritual successor to Bionicle, but I'm always a little bit sad and honestly, like going to a Lego store where it's like you see some amazing sets these days, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like there's cool Harry Potter sets, and there's like built big buildings based on real buildings. There's amazing Star Wars sets, and, and there's the cars now, and I just always wish that there was just like a Bionicle section. Like why can't we just get like a, like a little shelf with... Just keep them going. Like keep keep the dream alive. I would I would kill to have some Bionicles back. They're so cool. They're fun to play with. They look amazing on a shelf together. Um, yeah, really special time. Two thousand one peak. Being a kid, uh, you know, GameCube's out. Got my Bionicles. Got my Yu Gi Oh cards. Got my Beyblades. That was a good time. Do you even need anything else? Like no, seriously? I really didn't. Yeah. I didn't need food. That's for sure. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> all you need is some Bionicles. I I love Bionicles too, and they are definitely in my honorable mentions. My honorable honorable mentions list is long, so we will get to that after my number five, my fifth uh, best toy, favorite toy of my childhood is a deep cut. Neil, at least for okay. some people, it might be a deep cut. And Neil, you can see the picture here on our on our notes, but it is. That castle, as I call it, the Fisher Price Great Adventures Castle, with the uh, the giant ball that shoots out of the front. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I feel like everyone has had or played with these Fisher Price castles at some point. They were definitely iconic in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, they were quite well made too, and all of them would have their the little knights, the little drawbridge, and often would have a big basically boulder that would shoot out of a cannon at the top yeah. of the uh, the drawbridge. <laughs> and of course you would just do that all the time and point it at your cousins or something and you start mm-hmm. fights that way. But the, the castle itself was so iconic. And as soon as I saw it, Neil, uh, when I was looking at 90s toys, I, was, I just gasped. I was like, oh, yes, this castle. Oh yeah, that castle was at every... <laughs> 
cousins had every daycare, yeah. every I'd played uh, preschool. It was everywhere. And I, I loved it because by the time I got to it, um, I never like got that. I don't think I ever owned it. So I never had like the actual figures. Yeah. So you, you'd play with that castle with Batman, <laughs> yeah. with Luke Skywalker, with a Bionicle, with like everyone. Like it was just like random toys. That was like, it was like Smash Bros. Like it was like, this is a Smash Bros stage and this is where we're going to fight. And I think like your aunt or whatever would take that little ball away because you would just shoot it at each other. Yeah. And they're like, all right, I'm taking this thing away. And you'd try and put other stuff in it, but it would never work. I definitely, it's like the dollhouse. You know what I mean yes. when I say that, right? Fisher Price definitely had a knack for making the wagon, the easel, the castle. Like it's really Fisher cool Price how- Fisher Price easel, oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Like everything, like whatever Fisher Price made, like the you, you can picture it. It's just that's how that's how ubiquitous they were with at least at least our generation. I don't know the sandbox. Yeah. What are you picturing? What are you picturing, Mike? Uh, the turtle. There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. We did it. Oh, we did it. Perfect. Oh man, that's awesome. I love that castle. I see it at like thrift stores too from time to time, and it's like, oh man. This thing, buy it one day. And it's missing a, missing a ton of pieces. It's too. always missing. Yeah, there's no way it ever will come come complete. Because yeah, like you said, no. we just play with random figures. And yeah, huge, huge honorable mention to if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, Fisher Price made a turtle. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sandpit uh, that that was one of my favorite things. I feel I never owned the turtle, but I I, 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 I swear that yeah you did. Uh, yep. Hundreds of other thousands, millions of people I'm sure owned this uh, this turtle uh, and just played in it all the time. It's great, and the beauty of it was that you could put the turtle shell back on the mm-hmm. sands. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was a classic. Funny story about that turtle, and then I'll move on to my last favorite toy from the 90s and 2000s, is that when uh, Google Earth was first starting to become a thing, it was fun because you could look at neighborhoods, but you really couldn't get that close. Like, this is pre-Street View Google Map, right. Google Earth. Um, we, like, you know, oh, my God, there's the mall. There's our school. There's the baseball diamond. There's Mike's house. We, we would get to our house, and you kind of, like, scroll around the neighborhood and almost pretend like you're playing, like, an RPG, like, going through your life yeah. uh, on Google Earth. Um, but anyway, our backyard, you could make out that the the sandbox the green turtle you can see the green <laughs> circle on our back deck and it's like you can see the sandbox from space <laughs> sandbox from sp- the turtle from space the turtle from space and i have that memory of that that sandbox was awesome yeah the green turtle r.i.p but my last toy favorite toy from the 90s and 2000s brings us to 2002 and it is a toy or from a toy line that we had a lot of lots of different sets but i'm still counting it in this because i have very fond memories of it and that is Octoblast, which is a very amazing Hot Wheels track. Mm. Basically, it's this uh, it's this octopus, and it has uh, a four-way intersection in the middle of it. And then it's got like four loop-de-loops that go all every which way. There's one that goes upside down. There's one that does like a big spiral. So it has the appearance of looking like a giant eight-legged octopus with your cars going through it. The track is really cool because it's almost like a pinball machine where you actually can win at the set. And Hot Wheels was doing this really cool thing in the late 90s, early 2000s, where they were releasing uh, sets where there was kind of this centerpiece in it, almost like a, a pinball table. Mm-hmm. There was like a shark, uh, Shark Rocks one as well, where you'd had to kind of get past the shark, like escape through the track without getting eaten. Uh, this one was basically killing the octopus by hitting a jump at a very specific time. And then your car would launch off the track hit the octopus in the head and the head would kind of explode like something out of an alien movie and its brain would pop out too. Oh. It was really cool. It was all plastic. It didn't, it was just like a little plastic brain. Yeah. Um, but that's how you'd win the track. And it was this really cool thing that Hot Wheels was doing. And I think 
they still do a lot of these types of sets. Actually, when you check out Hot Wheels toys at uh, Toys R Us or Canadian Tire, it looks like that they still do some really cool stuff. Hot Wheels, shout out, you're doing good. Yes. <laughs> but this was one of those like early examples of that. And I think it's weird to say, but I feel like that this track really holds up today. Like it's so much fun. I don't have it anymore. We got rid of it when we moved out of my childhood house in 2011 and I'm so sad by that but I think it was just busted but look up Hot Wheels Octoblast track it's a really it's a really cool really cool set it's an iconic set I I, I I love when Hot Wheels was doing like you said making those obstacles and stuff that you would have to go through almost like feeling mm-hmm. like missions because mm-hmm. yeah the commercials would push you for that like that's why you would want to get it because you're like I want to overcome this barrier like i want to i want to yeah. be the very best i want to be the best hot wheels <laughs> driver ever and and right. i i definitely loved creating the tracks i would put tracks all over my my basement i i really love the cars too that i would buy for hot wheels hot wheels is yeah. definitely an honorable mention as well for me uh but that was also one that was a huge like a long part of my childhood i think i probably started playing with Hot Wheels when I was like five years old and didn't stop playing with until I was like 15 at least, you know, like Hot Wheels are great. They're so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why the Hot Wheels game that I love, the Unleashed game that came out in 2000, what, 2021 or whatever it was. Like, I love it. It's yeah. so cool. And I'm so excited for uh, Unleashed 2. It's coming out basically next week, I think. Like, it, it, it's so good. I would love an Octoblast kind of inspired track in the, in the game. I yes. don't think... It was in any of the DLC in the first game, but uh, I would love something like that to play some classic tracks. And it was cool because, like you said, like we started playing with Hot Wheels when we were pretty young, like when we were five. And the old tracks were really great. A lot of them were um, based on gravity. Like you would just kind of start off on your dresser and then it would go down the track (laughs) or whatever. A lot like Toys, again, like Toy Story. Or or like, you know, when they started to get into the motorized ones, it was very much like just the figure eight or a loop-de-loop and then back around. They were just basically circuits and you'd watch the cars go around. It was really fun when they started to incorporate these uh, goals in the track. It was really fun. It gave it gave the track a purpose. And Octoblast was one of the early examples that did it ridiculously well. And uh, yeah, big, big shout out to to the uh, the track that I saw in a Sears catalog in 2002 and had to have it for Christmas. And I did get it that year. So really fond memories of that one. But thank you, Sears, for uh, for <laughs> for helping you to remember your or, uh, or helping to get your parents to buy things that you probably didn't need, but uh, that you still love. <laughs> R.I.P. Sears catalog. That was a good time for sure. But yes, all the games that we talked about or the, the toys we talked about today, Bop It, Laser Challenge, Beyblades, Bionicles, Autoblast, uh, Tamagotchi, that phone thing that I had, <laughs> Super Soakers, <laughs> Brio, and the Fisher Price Castle. And for me, I'd also like to mention the my honorable mentions, Neil. Uh, for me, I had basically all the ones that you uh, talked about uh, for your top five. I, I, I would have talked about them as well, but you know, I'll put them on my honorable mentions i also have crazy bones which is one of our favorites yep, uh, back in the day good good uh koosh balls if you remember those things balls. those are the 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 they're also i have an image of them in our, our notes here oh these things okay like fluffy balls basically they were supposed to be made to to easily play catch with kids so that they wouldn't hurt them when they got hit oh come on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, those things were everywhere they were a lot of fun when i was a little yeah. kid i would i would play with those all the time um Tech Deck Dudes, uh, mm. if you remember those. Mighty Beans, one yes. of my favorites. I had a lot of Mighty Beans. Uh, Mighty Beans was probably bigger for me than Crazy Bones. We were a little late to, uh, to Crazy Bones. And Transformers. Uh, mm. that's, we haven't mentioned it yet, but Transformers, although they were definitely an 80s toy, they, de- they still reared their head uh, pretty hard in the 90s and early 2000s. I had a couple of Transformers toys, and I was a big fan of them. 
Yeah, and and then and then growing into beasties or beast wars. Yes, uh, definitely a toy. I le- I had to leave out of my list for whatever reason. I loved beast wars, but I definitely I was a bigger fan of the show. Uh, I was I was too dumb to figure out how to transform most of my beasties <laughs> toys, so I couldn't give it to beasties because I just had all of these half transformed toys for the most part, or sure. I would just keep them in their animal form or whatever form that they came in because I was too scared to screw them up and make them look stupid. Um, it almost looked like like a half like something out of uh, the thing. By the time I was done with it, it didn't look right. So, uh, yeah, Transformers is a huge one. Uh, so many toys. It's so hard to give honorable mentions. My parents definitely spoiled us as a kid. We got so many toys. It's so hard to pick favorites. But I did boil it down to the five. But some other honorable mentions. I already mentioned Tamagotchis earlier. You said it before. Crazy Bones, another toy from 1996. Uh, that was a, a craze back in the day. And I definitely it definitely hit its peak for me when I was, I think, in kindergarten. We used to go out and get packs from uh, Becker's, our local convenience store. Used to love going out there to get some of those, uh, collecting them, putting them in your little coffin carrying case. It was so much fun. I still have Crazy Bones to this day. Uh, Not really a toy, so I didn't really want to put it on there. It was basically like marbles, um, the way you'd play that game. You just knock out your Crazy Bones out of circles and stuff. But they were more just to collect. A lot of fun. Um, A toy that I always wanted as a kid but never got, I think it was an American toy, but they were called Stretch and Screamers. Mm. They were basically like these action figure toys that you could stretch and like squeeze and they were like zombies and mummies and skeletons and aliens. And they would scream if you like stretched them or twisted them or whatever. They were basically like a torture doll. They even had like, uh, like the head, if you squeeze their head, their eyeballs would pop out. And I just thought that these toys were the coolest thing. I saw that the commercial on TV once and begged my parents for them for like two years. And they could, they, I could tell my parents were frustrated by it because they couldn't find it anywhere. Um, <laughs> I think it was straight up. I was just watching American TV and it just was not a Canadian toy yeah. for whatever reason. So shout out to those toys. They looked like they were a lot of fun, but I never got one. <gasps> and my last honorable mention here is a toy that you might remember, Mike, and that is the switchboard. And basically it was this toy that would switch between a scooter and a skateboard and it did neither well. Um, like the hand, the handle would pop up and yes. you could scoot around. The handle would go down and you could use it as a skateboard, but you could not do any tricks on it as a skateboard. And as a scooter also could not really do much on it. But what it was good for was going down the driveway, which you and I spent so many hours as kids on skateboards going down our my, my parents' driveway because we had a steep driveway. And we'd make like an obstacle course going down the driveway with recycling bins and hockey sticks and like wood and just other dangerous things. And I remember using that switchboard for hours in the summertime, just barreling down my driveway uh, on it. So shout out to the uh, the purple and black switchboard. Yes. Oh my God. I, I remember that. Uh, that's that, that. So many memories are unlocked today, but uh, yeah. there are a couple of things that I want to talk about. And one in particular that we haven't touched on, even though this episode is all about 90s and 2000s toys. And that, Neil, are Furbies. Yep. I have them in those then that uh, in that category too. What the hell? Okay, I never really got into Furby. I never got into Furbies. I don't know if I was maybe not the target audience. I wasn't the right age. Maybe they're more of a girl toy. I don't know. My sister never got into them either. I get that they're creepy. I don't think that they're honestly that creepy. I just don't know what they are. Like, what was the appeal of the Furby? Well, Neil, Furbies were created as interactive robot toys designed to be both entertaining and educational. They were first introduced by Tiger Electronics, which is a Hasbro mm-hmm. subsidiary in 98. So not not 96. So that's why that, that's why you don't yeah, love them as much. Yeah, that's but. the problem. <laughs> they, gave, they, they gained huge, huge popularity due to, of course, their unique features, those eyes, and the ability to learn and learn English and things like that over time. And responding to touch and sound and exhibiting a wide range of emotions. They are basically like the first AI kind of robot 
toy. And now you see those robot toys all the time in the 2000s. Of course, we saw those robot dogs. There's the eye dog as well that would yeah, play music yeah. and stuff like like that. That has become a big trend or definitely was a big trend and, and is still going too. But Furbies were really just trying to kind of engage children and, and kind of create some interactivity uh, because the Hasbro really wanted to make a toy that uh, was so different from a static toy. They wanted to make an interactive one, especially seeing video games being so popular, right? Like Furby really is actually a response to video games popularity in the 90s. Yeah, like like a toy's dying breath trying to be relevant yeah, by incorporating no, tech. Yeah, they, I mean, they're I, I'm not I'm not denying that they're iconic for the 90s. Yes. It's between Furbies and Tamagotchis, really. Um, but I remember them being uh, toys at McDonald's. They wouldn't they didn't have the same level of tech in them as the actual toys did, but uh, they had the same iconic, I guess, quote unquote, iconic human eyes uh, with their beaks and rat like features. I don't even know how to, the gremlins. I don't know how to describe them, honestly, but I, I never got one. My, my family, we, we were not a Furby family, if you will. <laughs> Um, never really understood the hype behind them. Uh, and I know that a lot of people like Furbies creep me out. It's like, no, they're just, they're just weird. It's just a weird trend. But did you have a Furby? I don't remember seeing one at your place. Uh, I did not. Uh, I'd never had a Furby. I had one or my, my cousins had one or I don't know where it came from, but it was in my grandparents' cottage. Uh, when I was younger and I remember it was always in the room with us and it was really like nice. freaked me out doing all those little sounds and little noises. Yum. Again, again. Yeah. Very hungry. What? Furby speak. And like, yeah, it would just, I mean, that's the, the legend of Furby, right? It would just pop up sometimes and just, just start talking and making sounds because it was all, you know, it was, it was recording you. It was trying to learn from you as well, right? So it would be trying to imitate you. It was so creepy, like when I think about it. Uh, and those eyes are, are those shifty eyes that would go back and forth. <laughs> shifty eyes. <laughs> the Furbies are, are a weird thing. I've never really liked toys that are, that are a little too lifelike. I don't like interactive toys. Give me my static. Give me my koosh balls. Yeah, the, I remember the koosh balls because I just remember those toys. You could really chuck them at somebody and they wouldn't. It was so satisfying because they wouldn't hurt them, um, yeah. but you could still hit them really hard with them. Yeah, I remember those balls now that you mentioned it. Um, a few toys here I'm just going to mention that were uh, I, I had that ended up not being very good. Just two. Uh, Astro Jacks. I don't know if you remember these, but they were kind of like a yo-yo, but they had three balls on them and with physics and everything, you kind of make them do tricks and do some. They're really, it's really hard to explain over a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> basically, like a yo, like a three dimensional yo yo. But yeah. basically, the problem with them was once you get them tangled, you're done. Uh, they didn't work for too long once you got them tangled up, but they were really fun for a couple of seconds at least. And a flat ball, which was a random toy from like 2003. Um, and basically it's like you could smack it and it would turn into a disc when you throw it, it would pop up into oh, a ball. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat ball. It's fun for 10 seconds. <laughs> I thought at first you were talking about the, the Velcro ball. No, uh, no, those you know, are, those, those, are, you would, those are good. Those are great. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. you would, you would have this like, uh, like thing that would go over your hand and yep. uh, it was all Velcro and you would just throw the balls at it and stick to the Velcro yep. so that you didn't have to try and catch it. Oh, no, that's great. That's a good toy. No, the flat yeah. ball was basically like this just frisbee ball thing. Again, like yeah. the switchboard, uh, but ball form. And I remember playing with it like once and being like, all right, what what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? And never really touched it again. Uh, it's just one of those toys. But do you have any toys like that, Mike, that stand out that you got, you're really excited for and just kind of uh, fell flat? 
I mean, I was trying to think of some for this episode, but honestly, I, I don't remember the bad ones. I think those have been destroyed from my brain. Uh, my brain can't fit that much in it anymore, so nice. it deletes memories left and right. Just like just like the Tamagotchi, it gets deleted after a certain amount of time. That's right. I did get a Ken doll, actually. I remember Ooh. that's like the only thing I can remember, and I was really upset that I got a Ken doll, that I, I wanted <laughs> something else, and I think my aunt got it for me. And I remember like being angry and I was like six years old. I'm not sure why she gave me a Ken doll, to be honest. Like, but I, you know, I, the thought, it's a thought that counts. There's a lot of pressure on adults, man. Like that, that time of my life is coming up on me where I'm, I know I'm gonna have to start buying toys for kids within the next like five years, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, it's getting like, I think I know what to do, but I also know that I'm probably going to make some, I don't, I don't want to make a kid's, I don't want to make that memory for a kid, you know? <laughs> that does yeah, you don't want to be me. that aunt no or that uncle <laughs> i definitely don't want to be that aunt uh yeah no i think i'm gonna be okay but uh i have you to help me i know not to get my my nephew a ken doll apparently unless he likes barbie who knows yeah there you go but mike that does lead me to my only closing question for you and that is if you had to pick one toy from today's batch of toys that we talked about that have gone away lost to history but if you could have the power to bring them back into 2023 which toy would you pick oh man the the good super soakers I gotta say, yeah, yeah. I think I think we we really lost it with with the the super soakers we have now. I need the power back. I need my backpack. I need my uh, CPS three thousand just to go ham and have my Gatling gun for, for a water gun. <laughs> because yeah, I feel like uh, I also need to s- scare away some squirrels. I think it, it still has a use for me in my adult years. I can definitely see that since super soakers have uh, mellowed out, the squirrel population has. <laughs> gone way up and we, oh, yeah. d- we definitely need to cull that if you know what i mean and the super soaker great choice i'd have to go with bionicle though like i said it earlier i i think bionicle are missing from the lego family if you will today like i love their uh their city sets and they have a lot of they have a really good thing going right now with their star wars their jurassic park their marvel their harry potter they've got their their city sets they've got like the sets with just the regular lego guy like lego city i think it's called Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bionicle just fits. Like, I think it could come back. I think it could be really cool. Hire friend of the show, John Cameron. He will do a great job with the Lego brand with Bionicle. Uh, put the canisters back on shelves. We will buy them hand over fist. Uh, but Mike, while we're waiting for Bionicles and uh, Super Soakers that can take out Squirrel's eyeballs to come back to Canadian Tire Shelves, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 34 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. On episode 34, Neil, we will be talking about My Chemical Romance's Black Parade, uh, a classic album that is now 18 Don't years say old, it. 17 years old. It's a, it's old. It's old, <laughs> just like us. And uh, we wanted to talk about it. It's very Halloween-esque too, you know, so we're, we're keeping it with this Halloween theme we've got going for the month of October. And uh, we love talking about albums on this podcast when we can. And we thought this was a great time to talk about uh, the seminal 2006 album. That album has so many fond memories with us that came out when we were in junior high school. It was really big when we were in high school. Still listen to it to this day. It's fun to turn it on and pretend like you're 16 and hate the world. Um, <laughs> it's It holds up so well to this day. I'm sure that a lot of younger f- people out there are discovering it like we were. It's sad to say, Mike, but yes, you're right. 17 years ago, people are definitely discovering My Chemical Romance now the same way we were discovering Led Zeppelin and Guns N' Roses when we were 12. And it's so scary to think that that's the case, but... Um, it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about it with you next week. Talk about Gerard Way. 
talk about everything around the band, and I'm sure we'll talk about their future work and what they're doing now, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 33 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Thank you so much to everyone over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Furby, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Cockadoodle-doo! The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. I can't do it. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to try, man. It's like the Sim speak. I feel like, remember how like Simlish or whatever it's called? Like, yeah. uh, they made like an entire album. Like, yeah. They should do that MXPS. with Furby. Yeah, they should do that with Furby. I think Rise Furby. Against did one too. Furby sings the, the songs of MXPX. <laughs> Ska Furby. Chick Magnet sung by a Furby. <laughs> I would pay to see that. <laughs> Me too. They're, they're back too. Furbies are kind of back. I thought you meant MXPX. I'm like, they never went away. <laughs> Oh, hungry. Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Boring. <laughs>